This morning we're thinking about the subject of hope. Um, and the screen behind us will just have some verses that I'll mention as we go along this morning. And um, hope is a really interesting concept. It's quite linked. I think we could probably synonymously use the word hope with the word faith. They're quite linked together, really. Um, I wrote here, hope is a big word. Well, it isn't because it's only four letters, but it conveys something that is big and powerful. Hope gives us encouragement. Hope can also be daunting and scary, and for some of us it can be fleeting. Hope can be something that we grasp at. This morning I want to think a little bit about why we have hope, what our hope should be in, uh, and why we must hold on to that hope with everything that we are. Um, I, I, I looked at the dictionary, because it's always good to find an actual definition of the word hope, uh, and it says, to want something to happen or to be true, and think that it could happen. Well, that's really interesting that the definition of hope is that something that could happen and that's something that you would think or want to happen or to be true. But that isn't the hope that we're talking about. That isn't the hope that we have that comes from the Bible. Um, we'll think a little bit about that. I, um, I spend all my time on a computer because that's what I do as a job, really. But um, I just... This is there. I've got one in my hand on, on here. You know, my phone is a computer. Um, so I thought I'd have a little Google search and see what people see. We'll see what people search for. Um, so if you, you've, the great thing about Google as a search engine, and most search engines will do it, you can type in "I hope" and then it fills in loads of random things. Um, so these are the things that people hope for. Um, they, they search for "I hope that you are well." I hope that you have a great day. I hope you feel better soon. I hope I can make it, obviously, to a date or something. I hope I can make it up to you if I've let you down. I hope I can be of assistance. And then I just thought of some other things that people tell me all the time. So when I work at Tesco's, which you all know because I've told you a hundred million times, um, every now and again I have to go and sell tobacco um, and lottery. And people say, I hope I win the lottery. I hope it's a winning ticket. And I'm sat there thinking, it's probably not. Um, my favourite one is that I hope I get a big piece of cake. When there's cake, I hope I get a big piece of cake. I don't want no small measures. I want a big measure. I want a full measure of cake. And, um, you know, the, the other things, you know, I hope I get the new job or the promotion. I hope that my, for, for a lot of us, I hope that my money lasts until payday. That is my hope every month. Do you know, God always makes it happen. It's really good. Probably also because I sat with Ken a few years ago and did a, a cat money course and did a budget, and my budget is solid. Thank you, Ken. I'd recommend that to everybody. Another one, I hope that my petrol lasts until I get to the petrol station. That is often a hope that I have, and I feel like I'm running on vapours. Um, and then the worst thing is that I just think, oh, it's late, I'll just go home. And then I think in the morning, oh, crikey, I've now got to get back to the petrol station. There's loads of examples of when we use this word hope. And... There's nothing wrong with any of those things that we hope for, especially the large slice of chocolate cake. Um, I would say that playing the lottery is a waste of money, so don't bother doing it. You'd be better to save your cash. But actually, like I said, that isn't the hope that the Bible talks about, because all of those things are fleeting hopes. They're, they're really not relevant. or for, for, They might be relevant for the here and now, but they're not going to be something that you can depend on, not something that you can build your life upon. A lot of those things, you know, like saying to people, oh, I hope you're well, 
you know, it's like saying, how are you? Well, most of the time we say, how are you? Because it's a platitude. We're just being polite. We don't really care. I mean, let's be honest. I, I meet people all the time. And, you know, I pick people walk into my phone shop and, hi, how are you doing today? If I'm really honest, I don't actually care how they're doing. I want to know why they want a phone. But and, and a lot of the time, we can be the same. We can say things and not really mean them with our hearts. And so when it comes to things like hope, you know, I hope that you're doing okay. My challenge, I suppose, in that is, do you actually mean it? That's the first thing. Or is it just a politeness because we're British and, you know, it's good to say these things? The Bible, though, has a different idea of what hope is. And I love this. The Bible's idea of hope is that it is something that is rock solid. It's rock solid. We often sing about hope and trust and faith, and I'm going to use those words as kind of interchangeable, because the hope that we have in God, and when we sing about it in work, it is absolutely rock solid. It's not that I'm hoping that God will do something, and well, he might do it, and he might not do it, who knows? The hope that we have in God is something we can build our life upon. It's that sure. And there's a song called Build My Life, in fact. And, and this, this is what it says. I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. What is that? Um, I will put my trust in you alone and it will not be shaken. That is the kind of rock solid faith that the Bible talks about. And I will quote lots of Bible verses for you shortly. Um, and there's another one. And in the, in the centre, I sit and look at this poster all the time. A few years ago, Rachel and I designed a poster for our Easter service. Um, and it has this quote of, a, of this song. And it says, There is hope in the promise of the cross. And the song goes on to say, Jesus, you gave everything to save the world you love. And this hope is an anchor for my soul. Our God will stand unshakable. There are these are just some great verses that we get to sing and declare about in our worship to God. <coughs> and you know, those verses, that we, when we sing them, they are rooted in the Bible, which is a great and amazing thing. In Hebrews 6, it says these words. Um, and most of the verses I'm going to quote come from the ESV, the English Standard Version. Um, and it says in Hebrews 6, verse 18 to 20, so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor for the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now there's loads of stuff in that and you can go away and you can read about Melchizedek as this high priest of God who pops up out of nowhere and you literally know nothing about the guy and Jesus is compared to him because he is just, he is just somebody who pops up but he is a high priest of God. And in this verse, it tells us that Jesus has gone in behind the curtain into the inner place. And that's a picture of the Old Testament where they had the tabernacle um, and then later on they had the temple. And in the temple, uh, even when G in Jesus' day, there was the temple in Jerusalem and they could 
there, there were so many different places that you could go into. You know, the women could go into the outer court and, 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 and with the children, and then the men could go in a little bit further, and then the priests could go into the temple. But in the temple, there was the holy place. But then there was a second, very sacred place that was the holiest of holy places. And that is where one priest, the, the high priest, could go once a year with the sacrifice for everyone's sin. And there, that was sec- separated from the holy place by a really massive curtain. And I mean like 80 foot high curtain. It was ginormous. And the Bible tells us that it was really thick and heavy. It wasn't like, you know, like the curtains we have at home. I've got some great blackout curtains, that, you know, that don't let the light in, which are great. But this, this was proper heavy, thick, woven material on material on material on material. It was heavy. And the, the Bible says that Jesus went in to that place on our behalf. And the great thing is, if you read in, in the Gospels, when Jesus rose again from the dead, well, sorry, when Jesus died, the moment he died, the Bible says that curtain was ripped in two from the top to the bottom. Why the top to the bottom, not the bottom to the top? Top to the bottom because God did it. If, it was the, if, it, somebody, if a man had gone in and ripped the curtain, A, he'd have been there a long time because it was really massive. And, you know, he'd have started at the bottom and tried to rip it apart. But this is a God thing. God, from the top, ripped it open because he was saying, now you have access into my presence. What an amazing hope that is. And that was the proof of it, the proof that they could get into God's presence because God ripped that curtain in two. And Jesus is the one who has gone into that place. And with his death on the cross, that was the one time sacrifice for sin forever. That old system of sacrifices was finished. It never has to be repeated. And 1 Timothy 4.10 says, We have our hope set on the living God, who is the saviour of all people, but especially of those who believe. Jesus has done one sacrifice for sins forever. And that is amazing. But do you know that this verse here says, it's only good if you believe. If you don't believe in it, there's no good. It's like God saying, here's a great present for you. It's yours. But if you don't take it and open it, it's just sat there. It's no good to you. You know, it's like me writing, I'm going to say this because you'll understand this. If the, ch- if the children are in, they'll be like, what? If, if I wrote a cheque for a million pounds and said, here you go, it's yours. Anybody who wants it. But if you all sat there and didn't come and take it, it'd be no good to you. But even if you took it, had a look at it, it's still no good unless you go to the bank and deposit it. And that's the point with Jesus. He's saying here that Jesus is the hope for us. He is the saviour of all people. He can be the saviour of all people, but it's only for those who believe in him. Paul, in in the book of Acts, gets arrested loads of times. It's quite funny, really, because, you know, you'd think after the first time of being arrested for following Jesus, he'd probably give up. But he doesn't. And why? Because he's got hope. And in, in, the, in, in Acts 26, when he stood again before people, having been arrested and he's, having, he's on trial, he gives this kind of massive, massive like, monologue, which I'm not going to read all of it, thank goodness. <clears throat> but he talks about this. I just want to read a little bit of it. He, says, he talks about himself. And he says, My manner of life, my manner of life from my youth, spent from the beginning 
among my own nation in Jerusalem is known by all of you. He says, I'm quite famous amongst you. You've, you've known my life. You know, it's like I've had the This Is Your Life Red Book read. You know, I've had my TV. You all know about me, also because I've been here enough times and told you. You knew where I grew up. I grew up here. I grew up in the temple. And he says, and also the people that have known for a long time, if they're willing to testify according to the strictest party of our religion, I have lived as a Pharisee. So I've been a good Jewish boy. I've done all the right things. I've learned, I've gone to all the right classes. I've said all the right things. I've read all the right bits of the Torah. And he says, and now I'm standing here on trial because of my, guess what the word is? Hope. My hope in the promise made by God to our fathers. He says, actually, if you read the whole of the Old Testament, it's full, 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 full of God's promise of hope for people, to which our 12 tribes, the 12 tribes of Israel, they hope to attain as they earnestly worship night and day. And for this hope, I am accused by the Jews. I am accused because I think, because I believe that God raises Jesus from the dead. That is the hope that we have. Paul's hope was found in that God who raises Jesus from the dead. This is the hope that we need to have every day. That hope that believes in Jesus. The Jesus who is not dead, but who is alive. It's something to celebrate, something to rejoice about. Something that when life throws everything at us, we go, it's okay, because I have my hope that is in a firm foundation based on Jesus' death and resurrection. Paul writes elsewhere in 1 Corinthians um, that if we don't have a hope, then we might as well just be miserable people. He says, if we don't have the hope and the resurrection of Jesus, if the only benefit of our hope in Christ is limited to this life on earth, then we deserve to be pitied more than everyone else. We are of all men most miserable. But he says, we've got, we've got a bigger hope. If it's just that, well, you know, God did a little miracle, but actually Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then number one, what are we preaching? And actually, we'd just be madmen going around teaching about somebody that, something that didn't happen. But actually, we would deserve to be pitied more than everyone else. But no, here's the amazing, amazing, amazing thing. Our hope is in Jesus, who is risen. Thank you. He is risen. Hallelujah. Yes. Do you know, I was thinking this morning, I'm going to share this with you because um, I think it's really important. As we were worshipping this morning, I know it's cold. Um, which is why um, my feet are freezing right now. <laughs> They're like blocks of ice. But I, I just thought this morning, you know, God has given us freedom and we've sung that. We've sung that this morning. But God, God wants us when we come together in our worship to be prepared and to do something. You know, so often I think we are bound. We're not free because of what comes up on this screen. We're like, oh, I don't know what to sing. I don't know what to say because there's nothing on there. There's, there's no words. And actually, God just says, when you come together, in, in our passage that we're learning, which says, eagerly, the de- e- eagerly oh, I'm not going to remember it now, eagerly, des- eagerly follow the way of love. Follow the way of love, eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, especially the gift of prophecy. 
And then it goes on to talk about the gift of tongues and everything else. And follow right down that bottom of that chapter. It says that every time you come together, be prepared and come with a psalm, a hymn, a spiritual song, a word, a prophecy, an interpretation, a tongue. All of these things come together and be prepared for it. And I just thought this morning, (coughs) as we're worshipping, and this is nothing to do with hope, but I just thought, you know, when we come together, that's what God wants of us. You know, we should be telling Simon to shut up and stop singing because we've got so much to give because of the hope that's in us. But often we just like, well, there's no words on the screen, so I've just got to stand and wait. Oh, good, there's some words. I can sing those words. God wants more from us. It says bring a song. Ivy is great at this. When there's a bit of a lull, Ivy will just start singing a song. And we'll join in. And actually, I'm not saying that we should all do that. But, but actually, this Bible says that when we come together, bring a song, bring a psalm, bring a reading. Come and pray out loud. Just declare the goodness of God. We all have a voice. I've heard you all talk. You all talk loads up until 10.30. And then it comes to like 10.30, right, I can't talk now. Well, there's a song I can sing, la, 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 la. Oh, wait, we'll stop singing. No, right, okay, I can't talk now. And God wants more from us. And do you know why God wants, God wants more from us? Because he's given everything in Jesus. And you know it's a response to the hope that's in us. If we have this hope, you know, it's like, it's like the joy that's in us. So all, these, all these spiritual gifts and the fruit of the Spirit, they're all in us. And actually, they should just be bubbling over. There should be a time when we come to worship that we just... We can't shut people up. That's what we want. Yeah, dance, whatever expression of worship is. Dancing movement, having the flags, whatever. You know, but actually we should be, we should be ready to express. And I'm not saying you need to have a, a preach prepared every week. Because crikey, that would be a very long service, you know. But actually come prepared to just open your mouth. And when there's a little lull in the music, you know, when there's, there's no words on the screen. Just go, just above the din and above the noise, just declare, God, you are good. It doesn't have to be long, even that. God, you are You know, we'll all say amen to that. Well, I, I would hope we would. Ivy will, that's good. We do, that is exactly right. And you know, we do that because of the hope that's in us. So my challenge for next Sunday, my challenge for the end when Simon brings a song, Let's be prepared to open our voices, open our mouths and declare the goodness of God. <coughs> Back to my notes. Do you know, in, in the Bible, there's loads of examples of when, and there are loads and loads and loads of examples of when um, people need hope and they had hope and they looked for hope. Um, and I, I've just got a couple of examples I want to share with you. And then some examples from some, some of my friends um, who are real live people. Alive today, even that's the scary one. No, one of them isn't actually, but uh, you know, there's some friends of mine, and I want to share some stories this morning about hope. Right back in the very beginning of the Bible, and we're not quite there in kids' church, um, but we'll get there, I think, in a few weeks' time. Um, There's a couple called Abram and Sarah. Have you ever heard of them? They're in the book of Genesis, and Abram was had a conversation with God one day, and God said to Abram, you are going to be the father of a nation that is so numerous, there's so many people in your family line, 
that there will be as many people as there are stars in the sky and sand on the seashore. I don't know if you've ever gone to the beach and tried to count the sand. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever even looked up in the sky at night time. And it was sometimes quite difficult in Peterborough because of all the, uh, the ambient light. But just to look up in the sky and try and count the, scar, the stars. There are, there are some there, I promise you. But you know, you'd just be there forever. I mean, that is, there's just so many of them. And that was the promise of God to Abraham. And Abraham and Sarah, you know, Abraham kept this promise. He knew, he knew God. He knew God was good with his word. And, and, and he thought, well, I'm, I'm, I'm getting on a bit now. Oh, and Sarah's, well, she's definitely passed it. And, you know, the, the Bible says that, you know, they, Abraham didn't lose hope. He tried to do it his own way. God was like, no, 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 just keep believing. And Abraham, at the grand old age of 100, with his wife Sarah at the grand old age of 90, they conceived and had the promised child of God. They kept their hope in God, that he would do everything. Romans 4 says this, against all odds, when it looked hopeless, Abram believed the promise and expected God to fulfill it. He took God at his word and as a result became a father, the father of many nations. God's declaration over him came to pass. Your descendants will be so many, they will be impossible to count. How amazing is that? A little bit later on in the Bible, there's a story of um, in the book of Ruth. Um, it's a lovely little book. It's four chapters long. You can read it in about 10 minutes. And um, it's a story of, interestingly enough, it starts off with a woman called Naomi. Um, and this is quite a tragic story to start with, because in the opening verses, uh, Naomi and her whole family move from Israel to a different country. Uh, and then her husband and her two, two sons die, and she's left all alone. She's left with her two sons' wives, um, and they... And she decides, look, I can't stay here anymore. I've got to go back to where my family is. But she kept her hope in God. And that's why, you know, we look at hope and trust as a very similar thing. And she kept her hope in God, that God would provide for her family. She even says to her daughters, just, do you just stay here? Go and get another husband. It'll be fine. God will look after me. Um, and Ruth, hence the name of the book, says, no, 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 it's not. I'm going to go with you because I believe in your God. I believe that he's going to provide and you read all of that story there, how she uh, goes and um, finds a husband who's within her family line, so they keep the property. And actually, Ruth becomes the grandmother, I think, of, or great-grandmother of King David. You know, there's that beautiful story there of God's, God's provision and sorting everything out. In the book of Ezra, which is probably not a book most of us have read, um, in the book of Ezra, where the people confess their sin to God, they declare that even though they've disobeyed him, they've married into foreign um, people, there is still hope in God to deliver them out of the situation that they find themselves in. There's a man called Job in the Bible. That is a tough book to read, I'll tell you that now. Um, Job has some friends who are really not friendly. Um, they, 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 they try and persuade him to stop believing in God. That's literally the entire book. Um, after um, Job loses everything. He loses everything. All of his children are killed when the house collapses. 
Um, he loses all of his cattle and his sheep and his possessions and his property and absolutely everything. And he's left with his life. And even in that circumstance, in, in that circumstance, he, he finds his trust and belief in God rock solid. And that's when his friends, his friends come along and go, seriously, do you still believe in this God? All this, all this stuff's happened? And he's like, yes, I still believe in this God. He says, where there is hope for a tree, it will be cut down, but that it will sprout again and that its shoots will not cease. I think there's a great little verse there. Even if a tree is cut down, um, where there is, hope for a, there is hope for a tree, even if it's cut down, that it will sprout again. And I think that's a great example because Job's life was pretty rubbish. It, I mean, it was fantastic to start with, and then um, it was tested, um, and, and all this stuff happened. And that's almost a picture of, of Job's life, that, that it's like his life was cut down, but there is still hope because actually the end of the story, the end of Job's life, he has even more than he had begun to start with. God really, God, God, God blesses him with even greater than he had before. Charles Spurgeon, um, <coughs> quote, uh, I found this quote from Charles Spurgeon, the great famous preacher, and he says, Hope itself is like a star, not to be seen in the sunshine of prosperity, but only to be discovered in the night of adversity. And I thought that really links in with Job's life, because actually sometimes when, we, when life is good, and you know, for Job and for us as well, when life is good... We just kind of get on with it and we probably don't think too much about the hope that is within us. And when life is good, we probably don't need to trust. I say this, I say this really carefully, but it's almost like we don't need to trust as much in God because we know, we know what God does and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't stretch our faith. I suppose that's the best way to put it. Then when life is going okay, we don't necessarily focus as much on the hope because it's going all right. And so we're not, needing to, we're not needing to have our faith tested or stretched. But actually it's when the, in the adversity, when that comes, that is when we really hold on to the hope that's within us. Um, there's, there's, you, can, you can read about hope in the, in the book of the Psalms. The psalmist is constantly writing about hope. Um, I'll just three that I, I picked out. In Psalm 33, it says this, Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. That phrase actually comes out about four times um, in about four different Psalms. The eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. Steadfast love, that's rock solid. That's what it means. It's stead- if something is steadfast, it is immovable. It is rock solid. Psalm 42 says, why are you cast down, my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall praise him again, my salvation. He's almost telling himself when, when that night of adversity has come, when life is tough, he's going, seriously, what are you doing, guy? Come on, believe back in God, hope in God, trust him. Psalm 71, for you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust from my youth. For you, O Lord, are my hope, my trust, O Lord, for my youth. I'm going to keep believing in you. I want to just tell you some stories of um, some people that I know in my life. And um, just because sometimes we can, we can read the Bible 
and it's good. It's God's word. We love it. Um, and sometimes we can kind of think, well, that happened 2,000 years ago. That happened, you know, 1,000 years ago. That happened 3,000. Happened a long time ago, whatever it is. And so sometimes it's nice to hear of, of stories of, I want to say real people, but you know what I mean. Um, and and the, I'm not going to go into like the, all the details of everything with this, but just to give you some examples of people who, when life happens... They don't lose their hope in God. So a Christian couple who were expecting their firstborn child, but who unexpectedly miscarried, they found solace in the hope in God that the unborn baby would be held in the father's arms. And whilst the pain and the hurt was there, their hope in God never wavered. Someone else whose marriage fell apart because their husband was unfaithful. The husband was having an affair with another Christian. That person was left raising two children. And whilst their faith in humanity was dashed, the hope in God remained strong. Because it was something that was rock solid and God is unchanging. As a young guy who found faith at a young age, but who grew up knowing that he was different from everyone else. The guy had rock-solid faith in God. And even though he was gay, he decided that how he should live was to put everything aside and follow Jesus. He wanted to have a life that honoured God. There's a Christian couple who were in business with someone in their church who ended up stealing all of the money from their business and leaving the couple bankrupt having to sell their family home of 20 plus years and having to relocate, but whose hope in God remained the one constant thing. They found a better church, a better life, a better life in a new church with great support. They even found forgiveness for that person, although they didn't want to see him again anymore. (laughs) And actually their life is, is even better than it was before. And they never lost their hope in God, their faith in God, their trust in God. You see how we use those words kind of synonymously? They're just four examples, and and there are many more that I could have told you from people that I know. And I'm sure in this room there are many, many examples of when life has happened. And it's not life that, you know, that we expect, but it's life when actually, because of the circumstance, we could choose to give up. We could choose to give in to hopelessness. Each of these people could have said, well, enough's enough. It's too hard. It's too hard to continue to have this hope. I'm just going to give up. I want to just do things my own way. But yet they chose to hope. And I think that's the important thing, is that whatever we talk about, whatever we talk about here in church, actually, it's about, it comes down to choice. We have, to, we have to choose to do these things. And, we, and hope is a choice. Hope is a choice. We choose it every day or we choose not to have it every day. I, um, I've shared this before and I'm coming to land, but <clears throat> my greatest joy um, of 2018 um, was watching my mum come to faith. I'm not going to look at her right now. My greatest joy of 2019 was baptising her. 
But I have to tell you, when she moved to Cyprus eight years ago, I lost hope because I could not understand or couldn't see how God would be able to draw her into his kingdom and into his family. Just, it, it, there was just no way that it was going to happen. I, I lost hope. And sometimes we do lose hope about things. But I want to encourage you that we need to have that hope because God's plans and purposes are bigger than anything we can have. So I'm, I'm reminded of a, of a verse that we probably all know really well, which is Jeremiah 29, 11. Um, <clears throat> and we often think about the first part of this verse. It says, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil to give you a future. But it also finishes off by saying, and a hope. And, and it's a great passage to read in Jeremiah. Um, it, it goes on to talk about loads more things. But God has plans for us that often we haven't got a clue about. And his plans are to give us a future and a hope. And his plans are good. Do you believe that? You better, because it's true. God's plans for us are good. Often the stuff that happens to us is because we get involved and try to, to force God's hand and to try and make it our plans. But actually, when we just leave it to God, his plans are good. Um, I want to invite the band to come back. Um, and I want to read this passage from Proverbs. Um, and it's kind of a prayer for us that as we focus ourselves on God this week, our hope that is rock solid that we will turn away from anything else. You know, I don't know about you. I don't know what you put your hope in. Um, you know, some people put their hope in talismans and crystals and all sorts of random things. I want to tell you, put your hope in God. Don't continue to be hopeless, but rather be hopeful in who God is. Maybe you don't know who this God of hope is. I encourage you to find the God of hope come and talk to me or Dave or Maggie or someone and find out who this God of hope is for you. Um, but this is what it says in Proverbs 23. And I'm going to read this a couple of times. Um, I'll read it once and I'm just gonna, we're going to dwell on it a little bit as the band come up. This is from the, the Passion um, paraphrase that's been written. And it says this, Don't allow the actions of evil men to cause you to burn with anger. Instead... Burn with unrelenting passion. Come up, guys. Instead, burn with unrelenting passion as you worship God in holy awe. Your future is bright and filled with a living hope that will never fade away. As you listen to me, my beloved child, you will grow in wisdom and your heart will be drawn into understanding, which will empower you to make the right decisions. As we go into this week, I just, I just have this sense that we need to, to make sure that our hope is in God. And this verse says, and I, I, just, I just love the, the phrasing in here, it says, as you worship, in, what we want to do is we want to burn with unrelenting passion as we worship God. As we worship God, let it, let it be all-encompassing. 
And then our future, know that your future, when we, when we burn with unrelenting passion as we worship God, know that your future is bright. It's filled with a living hope that will never fade away. It will never fade away. As you listen to me, my beloved child, and I'm saying this to you, as you listen to these words, my beloved church, not my church, but you know what I mean, church, and you will grow in wisdom. Your heart will be drawn into understanding, which will empower you to make the right decisions. That's, that's our challenge this week. As we go into this week, let's have a living hope that will never fade away. And using that hope, we will be drawn into understanding, which will empower us to make the right decisions. This week, let's, let's know God. Let's have our faith. Let's have our hope our trust, our all in all in him. He is immovable and rock solid. Let's just stand. I'm just going to pray for us and then we'll worship together. But Father, I, I thank you that the hope that we have in you can be absolutely immovable it can be rock solid it is an anchor for our souls and this week I pray for every one of us that we would have that encounter with you that lasts into the week I pray for every one of us that we would on Monday encounter you and be reminded that we have a hope that is an anchor for our soul. And on Tuesday, we would have an encounter with you with the same reminder. And on Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday, and we will come next Sunday having had a week of you, a week of reminders of the hope that lives within us, that gives us joy unspeakable. We will come with passion for you, Jesus. Pray your blessing over all of us you are a good God and we love you.